John chapter 3, as we're moving through this particular chapter, and it's, uh, it's interesting to me because as I was reading through verses 17 and 18, which is where we're, gonna, we're going to uh, look at this morning, there's an Advent application, and some of you may be wondering what that is, and I'll get into that later. Um, Advent is an interesting <clears throat> time of year. It's a, it's, a, it's a part of the church calendar. A lot of evangelicals uh, don't really recognize Advent, but it seems that more and more are recognizing it. And it's this idea of getting ready for the coming of the king. It's really what Advent is really all about. I did some reading on it. It, based on some writings, it looks like it was in place as early as um, the 5th century in the early church. And it, it was a... Um, recognition that they did on each for four Sundays prior to Christmas in in kind of a dual uh, celebration and dual recognition. One is for the coming of the king as Jesus and remembering the coming of the king, Jesus, when he came to Bethlehem so many years ago. But also remembering understanding that his first coming really does foreshadow the second coming and the fact that he will come again. It will come in a little bit different circumstances. We sang about it just a minute ago. You'll be coming in the clouds. And that Zacharias says that we will all see him. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. And and so the, the Lord is returning. And so... Jesus himself cautions us, warns us about having an expecting heart referring to his coming. And then prior to his coming, he tells us to do business until he comes. The old King James uses the term occupy. But it means to do business. And to be doing business, to go about our business, but with the expectation of his coming. That's part of what communion is all about, besides remembering the death and the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, the body that was pierced. Because as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us, and I read it to you just about every time we take communion, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus, and even, we, again, I just referred to Paul's teaching, 1 Corinthians, the New Testament uh, undergirds this idea that we're to be expecting his coming. And so that is what Advent was about. Looking at the first coming, knowing that Jesus has already come, knowing that the Messiah has already come, 
knowing that the finished work has been done on the cross, as Jesus proclaimed, it is finished, and then he dismisses his spirit. But then also knowing that he will come again. And we're told that even in the book of Acts, chapter 1, where the angel tells, I, I would love to have been there to watch Jesus ascend into heaven. Wouldn't have you? I know somebody took a video. Looking forward to watching that one. And, and it says that they are all they're just standing there gazing up in the heavens. And, and I would have. And the angel appears and says, why are you standing there gazing up to heavens? Don't you know that the same Jesus who has, who has risen up will come again? And, and I like the question, although I would have stood there and gazed forever, probably. But I do like the question because essentially what that angel is implying is for us to do business until he comes. And yet we have these special times of the year that were things that were integrated into the church calendar, one being Advent of this idea, of, and which is actually the first of the year for the church calendar, by the way. And so they start off with the first of the year with an expecting heart, considering his coming. It's also a time of, 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 of penance. It's also a time of, of strong self-reflection. It's also a time really to, as the psalmist said, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my ways, and see if there be any wickedness in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. So it really is kind of a spiritual pilgrimage that you do as you go about your everyday life. It's the same thing with Lent. Um, I'll talk more about that once we get into that season. But it's a preparation for Easter. And it's a, it's a preparing our hearts for Easter. And I think, I think that's part of why we remember the birth of Jesus. We remember his coming. Because we remember his coming again. And we remember the death, the burial, the resurrection, and then later on, the ascension. Pentecost. We're actually 10 days before Pentecost because we remember that which God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done for us. So that's kind of my what I wanted to share with you about the season of Advent. And again, I even see this here in the book of John chapter 3. And I'm going to go ahead and pick this up at verse 10, just to get a little bit of a running start. I'll go to verse 9. It's better. Nicodemus responded and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, You are a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, do not, or excuse me, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you people do not accept our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge. If you have a new King James, it says condemn. I'll get into that in a minute. To judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we consider your word. Lord, we pray that even in this context, most of us, if not all of us, have, have believed in you, have trusted in you, have received you as Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would expand our faith, expand our belief, expand our trust in you, and help us to walk, particularly in this Advent season, trusting and looking for the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, that blessed hope that you talked about. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So I actually want to pick this up in verse 17. For it says that, that God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world but so that the world might be saved through him. We did look at verse 16 last week, uh, as uh, most of you know if you were here. Um, So there's this idea of sending. It's the word apostolos in the Greek, or apostolos in the Greek, uh, which is from which we get our English word apostle. So God the Father sends God the Son, and he comes to the world. Now, as I thought about this, and I, I've known Christians, um, Christians are interesting people. You ever notice that? You think non-Christians are interesting. Christians are interesting people to me. And all of us, all, non-Christian and Christian alike, right? All of us, were, we're filled with inconsistencies. We, we really are. What a way to start out, huh? We really are filled with inconsistencies. And I think Paul explained that to us rather clearly in Romans chapter 7 where he says the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do, uh, I don't want to do them. And that, that battle he had within his inward person, doing things he doesn't want to do, not doing things he does want to do, um, that type of a thing. And... and as I thought about this, I, I've, I've known Christians that they're, they're just angry people. I should face the other wall. In this. No, I'm kidding. They're, they're angry people. They're, they're mad at the world. And, and, and it's, 
James tells us that the anger of man does not obtain the righteousness of God. It's pretty clear. And then, of course, I've met people, they believe that their anger is righteous anger, right? According to who? And, and to me, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, because this flies in the face of God sending his son. He did not send his son into the world to destroy the world or to destroy humanity. It tells us even here he didn't send the world to judge the world. Now, again, your new King James will say condemned the world, right? Or let me read it to you out of the new King James, if I can find it. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Which one's true? Which one's the more accurate translation? Probably judge which is New American Standard, and I don't know if NIV has that or not. Uh, condemn, okay. Um, went to the well one time too often on that one, didn't I? That's all right. Judge might be a better translation, although condemn actually does work as well. But it is, it is translated in some of our translations, condemn rather than judge, because it is given to us in the way the context of of this verse is given to us. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. So you're, he, it, the, John here has is, 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 is got two polar opposites that he's doing comparisons with again, right? Remember I mentioned that quite a long time ago, that in John you have a lot of comparisons, and he, he's comparing judgment or condemnation with, with being saved, with the world being saved. And so there's a little bit of uh, interpretation in the word condemned in the New King James, although I think it's, it's, it, it, it stands. It works, all right? Um, but but the, the thing is, is God sends Jesus not to be this harsh judge. Now, I'm going to have to resolve this for you in a minute, Okay. Because if some of you are aware of your Bibles, you're already thinking, what about this verse? What about that verse? I'll get there. All right. But he sends his son because so often in all of the Old Testament, in the law, Torah, in the writings, and in the prophets, the writings are all the wisdom literature, such as Ecclesiastes that we're going through on Wednesday night. He talks about his loving kindness, which is the Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. I've, I've referred to this many times. It's this unfailing, faithful love that God has for us that you can't outrun it, that you can't extinguish, that you can't uh, hide from. This incredible pursuit of God toward humanity, and, and really you see the apex of that love in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And we've already just read, God so loved the world, right? Or God loved the world in this way uh, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish. And, and as last week and again this week, 
I want to underscore the importance of our belief and, and how important it is to trust in the one who has offered salvation to us, to trust in the one who came and died for us, to trust in the one who did not come to be the judge. Now, I think that's speaking primarily of his first coming, by the way. He did not come to be the judge, but he became to be as John the Baptist said about Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's this incredible act of reconciliation, this incredible act of restoring us back to the garden. See, Joni Mitchell got it part right when she wrote the song. You know, she wrote the song Woodstock, not Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, who sang it made a hit out of it. One of the lines in that song is, we got to get back to the garden. See, they, that, that's, that's built in. That's innate in us. I think that's, everybody has that hungry heart. Again, that, 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 that misguided prophet Bruce Springsteen, right? Everybody's got a hungry heart. It's how God made us. That is the voice that Psalm 40, verse 7 says, deep calls out to deep. As he calls out to us. As he desires for us to have a relationship with him. And, and, and God comes and sends his son because of his great, faithful, enduring love that he has for each one of us. He didn't come to judge. Which is interesting because the the difficulty of this statement, I'll I'll read it to you out of the book of John chapter 9. Right around 39th verse. Same word, Greek word, by the way. Jesus said, if you were, excuse me, I'm reading the wrong verse. Jesus said, verse 39, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who may see may be made blind. Wait till we get to chapter 9, that's a hard one. Did he change his mind? No. No then what is he talking about? This is not an easy one to resolve. And I read a guy that I actually, I like the guy. I actually read people I don't like, by the way, but I, I like this guy. I read one of his explanations of it, and I'm not even going to share it with you because I didn't like the explanation. But how do you resolve this? How do we try to make some sense out of this? You see, it's, Important to understand that the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite title for himself, when he came into the world, the world was not neutral, right? Do you understand what I mean by that? The world was already lost. The the world was already under the curse. It was not a neutral world. But he comes into a lost world 
in order to save some. So his mission, his coming, his first coming, was that of the act of redemption, the act of being, again, as I said earlier, that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's on this incredible mission of redemption to restore us to a right relationship with God the Father. So the purpose of his life when he was here was that of restoration. It was not of judgment. But we see, and I'm not going to take the time to turn there this morning, but Daniel chapter 7, I've referred to it many times, where it refers to one like the Son of Man. It's around 13, verse 13 and verse 14 of Daniel chapter 7, where all judgment is given to him. Do you know that we are going to rule and reign with Christ? What does that mean? That means we're going to have to make some judgment calls to if we are ruling and reigning. What are we ruling and reigning over? Who are you ruling and reigning over? Each other? I don't know. Who? I, I have no idea. Heaven is going to be one new experience after another. I think about those who have gone on before us and this is such an understatement, but they're having the time of their life each and every single day. And it goes on. To me, that doesn't even make sense, but the Bible teaches that. And, and, the, the, and as, as I think about all these promises that God has made to us, if we simply believe he's actually given us authority to execute judgment john chapter 5 verse 27 says i uh, uh it talks about the father even has given him authority as well to execute judgment because he is the son of man and he will give us authority to judge as well and yet at the same time what does he say in matthew 7 Verse 1, judge not, lest you be judged. I saw it. I, I, it was so funny. It was, I actually posted it on my Facebook. It was a long time ago. Um, somebody posted a picture of, of a Bible, uh, the page of John chapters, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, and it said judge not, and the rest of the text was blacked out, right? But all they wanted to do was go to judge not, right? Because we don't like being judged, do we? We don't like being judged, but the thing is, this has a special, I think, promise, encouragement to each of us who are in the faith because God did not send his son into the world to judge us, but so that the world might be saved through him. And if that is the love of God, all right, if that is the love of God, man, I want to get a hold of that. Don't you? I know I'm talking to Christians, but don't you want to get a hold of that? I mean, think about that. What does he have for us? 
And how often it is, I'm going to be a little crass, but not real crass, okay? But I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling it. How often it is, is that we neglect the best of what he has for us because we want to watch some stupid television show. How do we steward our time? Do we have the same heart that David wrote when he wrote, I think it's Psalm 42, where he says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. Do we have that same type of hungering and thirsting? Jesus says, Matthew 5, for, uh, blessed are the hunger, those who hunger in spirit because they will be what? They'll be neglected. Right? Okay, I woke some of you up. No, because they will be filled. And, and so we don't have Jesus coming to be our judge. Now, yes, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And our works will be determined. Remember when I talked about mean Christians? Judgmental Christians? I had one of those moments just for a second, but I'm not going to share it, okay? I was like, yeah, I can't wait to see some of these people get judged. Don't. Anyway, don't go there, Mike. Um, Because our belief in him is an entryway to blessing. Our belief in him is an entryway into blessing. Yet often it is what he has for us, the reality is we don't want. Isn't that true? Well, maybe I, after I watch, I'm trying to think, I won't name any shows. Maybe they're some of your favorites. Okay, I'm going to stop picking on TV. Or I'll, 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 another one I like to pick on. After I've surfed on Facebook and wasted two good hours of my life, right? Or TikTok or Twitter or some of those other things. Belief opens the door to blessing, but we really decide whether we are going to receive it or not. And that's the whole thing about this equation of humanity in their relationship to God is is that we see here in this passage that we are called to believe. It's an invitation to believe. Do you believe? And if you believe, can, can you rest in that belief? If you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, and some of you have probably had to do a little bit of overtime, but that's okay too. But if you've trusted in that, do you rest in that belief? And I I told you a little bit about this last week. It took me a long time to get to that place. You know, I I must have prayed the sinner's prayer a half a dozen or more times growing up in church. Because I'd I'd do something or have a thought or whatever, you know, and, 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 and all of a sudden feel that, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. So wanting to do the whole thing all over again, you know. 
But to really come to this point that God did not send his son to judge you. But he sent his son that you might be saved through him. That whosoever believes. And so it is this incredible open invitation I want to say, too, that maybe the bar is set pretty low, but the price of that bar was very high. Because often it is we want to see, once people become Christians, we want to see them, we want to see them clean up, don't we? Well, if you're really a Christian, you're not going to, you know, I'll na- I won't name them. It's about trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, period. Now, does God want to sanctify you? Does he want to conform you more into the image of Jesus Christ, his son? Yes, he does. That's part of his work of sanctification in your life. And yes, you will know them by their fruits. Which, by the way, is talking about, really, in my opinion, in that passage, the context is about false teachers. But that's another discussion for Matthew 7 again. It's another discussion for another time. I see here in this passage a very simple call to believe. Because the one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the one who does not believe has already been judged. He's already incurred that judgment right out of the gate. And both of these are uh, were in verse 18. The one who believes is not judged. And the one who does not believe, both of those words believe, they're in the present tense. It is an action that is in the process or a state of being with no assessment of its completion. It's an action or a state of being or a a set of, 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 of professing a belief in something with no assessment of its completion. In other words, not only were we to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our believing is continuous. And this is where I do get concerned when I see people that they made a profession of faith and then there is absolutely nothing that I see in their lives that indicate that they are currently believing other than, yeah, I prayed a prayer about six, seven, eight, nine years ago. And so the call of believing. And what I've found is in believing this active belief that's in my life 
I recognize often it is that my believing forces me to wait. Forces me to do a lot of waiting. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, don't, I don't like to wait. I know some of you are waiting very patiently for me to finish. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, uh, but I don't. I don't like to wait. I don't know of anybody who likes to wait. In fact, I was thinking, because some of our folks are going to Disney World, right, next week. And part of my family went to Disneyland last summer, and they have this thing called a Fast Pass. And I think you pay extra for it. So you go to the front of the line. Man, I'd be throwing stuff at those people. I mean, I, 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 I haven't gone to an amusement park in years. I retired from them. But anyway... But, but you can pay for this fast pass. Why do you spend extra money for a fast pass? Because you don't want to wait. It's built in on us. And isn't it the very thing that we are called into a life of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? And one of the things he does to us time and time and time again is he makes us wait. Why does he do that to us? <laughs> You're sitting there shaking your heads. Okay, let's close in prayer. No, it's part of our sanctifying work again. And, and I'm convinced that people at my last church, there we go, if they were not in a place where they had to wait on things, they'd become spiritually spoiled brats. They'd become spiritually spoiled. Or then you become like the 450 prophets of Baal. Remember the story in, in I think it's first, first Kings, between that showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah? And how they prayed to Baal to, to consume the altar and consume the sacrifice on the altar. And they just went nuts trying to get Baal, who does not exist, by the way, trying to get Baal to start the fire for this altar, to accept this altar. And internally, we are like the prophets of Baal from time to time when we're in a place to wait. And, but what I've found is that one of the key components of believing, present tense, continuous action, no statement of it being finished, is that we live a life of waiting, don't we? Which is what Advent is all about. I think you figure, you'll wonder why I brought up Advent. It's what Advent is all about. It's this idea of waiting. It's this idea of being in a place where we are trusting God to do what he is going to do, that he's going to fulfill all the promises that he's made to us, that life one day will in fact be better. As Paul wrote, after he strengthens and establishes and settles us, that life one day will be better but in the meantime, we have to wait. Real quick, Psalm 62. And then I'm going to close. Psalm 
I'm just going to run through this really fast, just a few verses out of Psalm 62, beginning with verse 1. It's the Psalm of David. It says, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not, great, I shall not be greatly moved. I'm reading this out of the New King James, by the way, but some of you probably figured that out. How long will you attack a man and... Um, you shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. I love that illustration. And they, they only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. Which means what? Stop and think about it. We don't have the time. I'm going to close here. But think about what this is saying. My soul waits silently for God alone, and my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God, my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. A lot to pull apart here, and I, I just want to leave you with the psalm, and, and, and it's only 12 verses. I would encourage you to look at it this week. But it's the idea of waiting on God, knowing that God and God alone is our salvation, knowing that God and God alone is our rock, knowing that God and God alone is our defense. So why is it that we as Christians put our trust in other people, other places, other things when the reality is this psalm is said, this is David who's writing this. His soul waits silently. In other words, David didn't complain on Facebook. I'll just put that out there for you. Because from him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. I really think that if we took this particular psalm, because this psalm, to me, describes the believing, present tense, right? The I-N-G, the believing, not I believed a long time ago and that was it. I am in the process of believing, which means there's a lot of unsettled business in my life. But if we really grabbed a hold of this, I think it would change the way we viewed current events in the world. The political systems, not only in this country, but in other countries as well. We're not of this kingdom. We're of another kingdom. 
we have a heavenly king who one day is coming back for us. And he will come, and when he comes, he will rule and he will reign. And he will establish order and set things right. And he's not going to ask for a consult from any of us. But he will set things right because he is our rock. He is our defense. He is the provider of your next meal. He's the provider of the shelter that's over your head. He's the giver of life. He and he alone is the one to which we should give our faithfulness, our allegiance, our commitment, our submission to. Don't trust in the words of man. Uh, I love what where it says here. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Why are we putting our trust or even complaining about systems and things and people and everything else that, quite frankly, we shouldn't be putting our trust into to begin with? But the alternative of that is that we wait silently. We plug into what Advent season is really all about. And being a place of waiting, being a place of believing, being a place of trusting. And it is absolutely no fun. It really isn't. But it is that process, that process of believing, that process of waiting, that process of, of, of being still before God, whereby he will continue to do a work in your soul and further conform you into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.